Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coldsploitation.com and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? Pretty good. We um we missed our normal Friday podcast episode because we had planned on doing an episode and then the weather was just awful that day. The next the next two days. Yeah, it was. Just, and then the day, day before that, we got you know the blizzard of 2019. Yeah, it was it was bad and we couldn't do it on that day because it was just so icy and we decided to call it off. So we're recording a little bit later and then this was going to go up, you know, a couple days after when we normally post, but just so you know, it's, that's it, why. It's a sign. What's that? A sign from God that we do an episode today about the movie we're doing on the Lord's Day. That is true. It's Sunday. A, it's, it's, you know, that's... See, when you were debating about which movie we should do, this yeah. is the Lord guiding us. There's this, there's a sign right there. there yeah. It's Lee Van Cleef guiding us. That's in yeah, our, in our journey down, down from heaven. <laughs> He's giving us yeah. a sign here. Yeah, absolutely. So for this episode, we said last time that we were going to do a uh, spaghetti western and sort of get back to the roots of some of the things that we um, were interested in when we started this podcast, and that was not superhero films. <laughs> Um, clickbait. Yeah, exactly. And so we, we, uh, we decided to do a spaghetti Western. That was one that really is very obscure, not well known at all. Uh, never, I've actually never heard of this one before. I kind of did some IMDB, uh, roulette on this one to kind of like narrow down our decision on what we wanted to do for spaghetti Western. Um, so I started off kind of broad. We started off with Spaghetti Western as just a theme. Then I narrowed down a little bit more. I said, you know what? Who's one of our favorite actors from Spaghetti Westerns? Lee Van Cleef. So and let's, in general. And in general. So let's take a look at Lee Van Cleef movies from Spaghetti Westerns. And then I said, you know what? Also, let's take a look at later Spaghetti Westerns. Um, because, you know, we... We have done – We did our first one was an earlier Spaghetti Western film. And I said, you know what? Let's take a look at some of the older – or the, some of the newer ones that have, that came out at the tail end of like that, that era of filmmaking. So I picked a 1976 Spaghetti Western film. Actually, it is a Israeli Spaghetti Western film because it's produced by Golan and Globus and they filmed much of it in Israel. Um so, and, and, and I don't I, know what I, that I, makes it. I asked you, like, is that like making it like a you know a dreidel west a lock, a lock western? You know, basically, I really don't know what that makes it. Um, but it is technically a spaghetti western. Uh, it is God's Gun, starring Lee Van Cleef and Jack Palance, who uh, was in quite a few westerns as well at this time, and then moving forward, he did quite a few more. Um, also, an Academy Award winner. For yeah. You wouldn't know it from this film, but he is one. Uh, this film is um, kind of a weird, a weird offering for all parties involved. Um, so this would have been Lee Van Cleef sort of 
coming to the tail end of his... I mean, he would still do some films after this, but these were some of his last films that he would put out. Um, and he, it, it, you said in four years after this movie, he would be going into uh, Escape from New York with John Carpenter. And I think... What was his last movie? Um, I'm just going to take a look here and see. Like an 84. It was... Uh, actually, I guess he did have a couple credits... Even up to 1990 in Thieves of Fortune. But towards the end here, like he had a very prolific career in the 60s and even the early 70s. And then once you get up to like God's Gun um, and Escape from New York, those he really kind of slowed down at that point into the 80s. Uh, he was getting older. Um, as you can see from Escape from New York, he's definitely getting older in that film. Um, that really shows his age. And surprisingly, though, he did make he did keep doing action films throughout, I guess, the 80s. Just not as prolifically as he used to in the 70s and 60s. He's just like Bronson. Got that DNA in him. Yep. Exactly. Just got to keep going. And uh, the other thing about this film is that Jack Palance, like we said before, Academy Award winner, um, seems like your elderly, senile grandfather. <laughs> In this movie, uh, as we'll talk about a little bit more and we get into it, but it, most of the character, everybody, every actor in this movie is not showing the range that they really have um, in terms of like what they can do. And this film has a surprising number of people in it um, because it has Lee Van Cleef, Jack Palance, as we mentioned. It has Sybil Danning in this, which, who would have gone on to, she went on to do uh, quite a few uh, like 80s Italian films, action movies, like sort of those knockoff 80s Italian films. Um, so she she did actually quite a bit of things. Uh, Leif Garrett is in here as the young boy Johnny. Um, <laughs> Which just blows my mind. Yeah, I know, it's right? like, wow. It's just kind of a, yes, it's a weird thing, you know? Um, and I believe, you know, also Richard Boone was uh, a... I'm not really that familiar with him, but I know he was a bigger actor again in like the early 60s and 50s um, of doing, you know, a whole bunch of different uh, TV shows and um, movies. He was in um, The Alamo. So, he, you know, he he did a lot of things, too, just earlier on in his career. So this would have been later in his career. I think this would have probably been, um, yeah, he did only five more films after this one. And apparently a nice trivia that IMDb relates here is that in God's gun, he was got into a drunken argument and actually stormed off the set. So he never got to dub his lines because even though most of the actors on this film spoke English, like almost every single Italian film, they, yes. they redubbed it anyway, because what are the great sins too of, uh, Italian filmmaking of just, Dubbing over the English speaking well, actors. They, well, just not only that, just but just because you know they tend to just take from whatever country they don't give a shit. You know, language be dead. You speak, you speak French, you speak French, you speak Spanish, you speak. It will, yeah. will we dub over. You know, and it's just you know. Yeah, I mean, and that this one would have been even uh, more egregious because you were filming in Israel as well. So they did grab some Israeli actors as uh, for this one, like um, Nina Rosenblum, or apparently she was at one point Nina Golan. And Golan and Globus were the main producers on this film. So you did have those Israeli actors as well that were... Probably spoke 
English yeah, too. So. Yeah, I mean, and and so you had like a whole combination, and then eventually what they just end up doing is like, you know what? No, we're not going to use any of this. We're just going to redub everybody. Like I said, that's like that's just how they do it. It's like yeah, I don't know. It's just. I guess it makes maybe makes it easier for them. They don't really need to worry about it in production itself. They just do it all in post production. Don't and, need to pay a mic guy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then you just you do it all, and then you do two. I mean, you yeah. do two dubs. You do one for Italian, and you do one for English. Or you do sometimes uh, quite a bit. They did Spanish too, so you had the Spanish dub. And so they would just do it all at once, and then get it over with. Just redub everything, and there you go. So God's Gun, um, definitely an odd duck and uh one that like i i'm surprised has never been really released on blu-ray because i'm not i mean i'm not surprised as well but <laughs> but i'm i know that like a lot of these um the blu-ray producers they're really just plumbing the depths of like uh spaghetti westerns and stuff so i know like kino has done quite a few spaghetti westerns that are very pretty generic and obscure um they've all you know blue underground has done a few like our first episode we did was a blue underground uh spaghetti western uh man pride and vengeance and then um arrow video also does quite a few like they are releasing um they released uh I think it was um, a collection of Clint Eastwood films that are is not the um, man with no name. For yeah, me. I'm trying to think. I think it's like um, I'm not even really f- familiar with these. It's like Sabato, I think. Hang them high. Uh, no, I, it was a series of them that that um, Clint Eastwood did. I, I believe it was like Sabato, or I think it was. Um, it's not really that big of a deal right now, but the, <laughs> but Arrow Video they. Um, they like to really plumb the depths as well and well, go. Might as well though, for yeah. posterity's sake. Now yeah. that like everything, you know, we ha- we have the technology to keep yeah. everything ever basically recorded and stored. You might as well, even you know that little turd like Mako, plumb the depths, clean it up, show people. Hey, somebody had a vision. Somebody made Sartana. This. That's what I was thinking of. Sartana. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, you might as well like bring it out. So that's why I'm saying, even though God's gun is probably like on the bottom tier of spaghetti Westerns and probably there's not very many people around even if you were trying to get extra features or something like that, there's not anybody (laughs) to interview for it really. Um, except maybe Leaf Garrett and I think (laughs) in Sybil Danning probably as well. uh, Although whether they'd actually want to be involved with it after that. Or or remember what happened. I don't know. Uh, Maybe, maybe not, but, um, and it is surprising that they haven't given this a release. It was only released on DVD and I think they released it as like a double feature. But if you try to find this film online, it's pretty difficult to find a really good version of it. The only thing that we really could find was a YouTube copy of it that was in very poor condition as though somebody was filming it on like a, uh, I don't know, like a projection screen. Well, Ryan said TV at first and I said, well, who would be airing this on TV? Apparently somebody did. I did see a, a comment on IMDb that somebody watched it on late night TV. I don't know who aired it. I don't know where it was. It but must be like some like channel out in like Des Moines, Iowa. Yes. Like, just like in like <laughs> that somebody like, like happened like, to have like a like, copy like, of like it. Like their local U- UHF yeah. channel. There you go. It's like aired on like a UHF channel. I would be uh, interested to see the DVD version of this just to see what the quality is like. Because the YouTube one, that the, the copy that we watched was really poor. But, um, you know, you could get the gist of it. 
So it worked in that sense. Made you feel like, you know, you're back in 1992. Yeah. And, and you know. this one, we, we actually tried to watch a previous version that was um, in actual, in the correct aspect ratio, uh, not cut down to four through four uh, by three. And that one was in, uh, I think it was Italian. Yeah. So we couldn't watch that one. But then we ended up having to watch the four three version, which was really you could tell like sometimes there it was cut even more because they were like zooming the camera on stuff. It was not the best quality version to watch, but we got the gist definitely. It didn't hamper the no no you, how you no yeah view it was it. definitely like when we watched Mako you, yeah <laughs> which was like the, the terrible VHS uh, tracking lines <laughs> copy of Mako that we watched. You know, they should make that a thing. Like you know how like when you like oh, when, a, when you buy like a classic game on like PlayStation Four and Xbox One now, or like they have like a remaster of it. Yeah. And they have like clean, crisp cut where like you know, like for like Sonic Mania, it's like clean, like HD, beautiful looking graphics, and then you can turn it to like have like pixelated and have tracking lines on yeah. there too if you want. You know. You to, want that on your to feel race to feel the stuff. Yeah, like have that, make that an option, like. Uh, I want tracking lines, and it'll just like come in like or, or like spark, a re- yeah. reel is missing. Like all yeah. of a sudden, he picks up after one reel, and you're like, "What happened there?" And you just no, no, that's that's authentic. That's how it would have been. Shoot your Blu-ray out of the PS4, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What happened? Oh, it ate the tape. That would be fun. That would be fun. They should do that. They should, you know, just as a like a fun little. Slap on every yeah, slap on thing. every Blu-ray to be, be kind and rewind. Actually, they do do that on the MVD Entertainment ones. They do. If you look on, I have a couple right over there, and they do put the the sticker on it. Be kind and rewind. To to be yeah, be kind, rewind. Yep, they do that. All right, um, let's uh, let's take a break real quick from talking about God's Gun, and talk about the beer that we've had on the show tonight. One that you picked up special for this show. And then ended up not really enjoying it all that much. No, nope, um, not really. And it's surprising, too, because this is a style, a new style that's coming out that a lot of places are really adopting. Um, and we had, we we did the other one on here, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did Sierra Nevada's on here. Um, we're talking about the Brute IPA style, which is a uh, style of IPA that emphasizes the dryness uh, of a Brute Champagne Paired with the hoppiness of the IPA. Uh, I really like this style because I like champagne. I like brute champagne. And I also do like IPAs. Um, and I know you like the Sierra Nevada one quite a bit as we talked about on the show. That was the last show, right? We had it on the last show? Yeah. 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 Um, but I, but this one that we got, you didn't like. So we had Amagang's Brute IPA tonight. Yes. Amagang being a local Cooperstown brewery. Um, that actually has expanded quite a bit and it gets out to a a number of places. Um, they're Belgian style brewery. And so IPAs really aren't huge in their wheelhouse, but they do do a couple. Uh, and they gave their shot at a brute IPA. So I'll let you take it away first to talk about what you didn't like about this one. Um, I didn't really care for it. I mean, I'm not that big of a champagne fan to begin with. Um, Sierra Nevada's IPA I liked, as I talked about last uh, episode, because it did have like a like a dryness of a champagne, but not really an overwhelming champagne taste. So it was like an IPA, but it had like a dry, very dry finish. It was uh, really good. I liked that. It was like it was different, weird, but I liked it. It was really good. 
This, on the other hand, is very dry and very champagne-like. Mm-hmm. Uh, tastes like you're drinking champagne with um, a slight hoppiness to it. Not, It's not very hoppy. In fact, I would say that calling it an IPA is being very generous. It's not really hoppy at all. But what really throws me off is the fact that it has like this Belgian yeast taste to it, too. That's like really lingers, and that like it makes to me makes it taste really kind of like a skunky beer. Like it doesn't fit like with the style that they're going for. Um, that's one of the things that's main like the most off putting of for this beer style for me is that it tastes a lot like a champagne, barely hoppy, and then got a really lingering yeast taste to it. Yeah, I did. I don't know. I saw some people commenting on that yeast taste to it. I didn't get it so much. Um, I just felt like this was sort of on par with Sierra Nevadas, but perhaps maybe a little bit more on the champagne dryness side to it, with a little less of that hop flavor. I agree, um, but I still liked it quite a bit. Especially, I think it really depends on if you like um, champagne dry wine taste or not i don't um if you don't you're not gonna like i mean i think i'm a working man right i we don't have time for that i think that you're gonna have a hard time liking brute ipas in general but perhaps with this one because the dryness is so pronounced in it it's even more difficult to enjoy if you're not into you know the dry wine aspects of um, what it has going for it in the flavor profile. Now, I did think that the the hops were present. It just wasn't like super pronounced here. Um, and it, like I said, Amagang does not do IPAs. They're not like one of the. I mean, it's, I only know of this, and they're Nirvana. Yeah, they they're not like a brewer that specializes in IPAs. They don't do very many, which I'm which, thank- is, which I'm thankful for. Yeah, I'm thankful for you know like. It's actually surprising because, you know, most other breweries are doing all kinds of IPAs. They're trying out every different kind of IPA. And in this one, you know, they, they really don't try that many. So I guess it's kind of nice that they gave the Brute IPA a shot. And it's also become like a super popular uh, beer style at this point. Um, everybody's trying it. But uh, maybe not their best, um, you know selection in their line um the other thing that they do a lot of are game of thrones beers they have a huge game of thrones tie-in so if you know about amagang you've probably seen those beers those are like one of their more popular now in game of thrones do they like sit there with like their mead glass and like have like the amagang's logo on it like honestly i have no idea like i don't watch game of thrones like yes mm, mm. i've never seen game of thrones peter dinklage yes mm, yes. yeah Meaty. No. That is surprising, though. I don't think Amagang has made a mead. You know what? Like, to go along with the the whole... No. I don't think they've made a mead. Who the fuck goes out of their way to sit down and drink a mead? Uh, Not me. Except people who are playing D&D. True. No offense. No, I'm sure I would love D&D, but I mean... I've only tried meat a couple of times, and I was like, eh. Yeah. Not for me. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't really like any of that sweetness, like the 
with the honey and... It's not even that it was, like, sweet. It's, like, got the thickness of, like, honey. Mm. And it's, like, mm, I don't want to be tasting like I'm sucking, you know, honey down. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't, I don't think... I mean, I haven't had a bunch of them, so I'd have to try it again and see. See if I like it. Anything else you want to talk about for beer? No, that's all I really have. That's, that's pretty much it for me. Um... Nothing, nothing else like spectacular that stands out. So uh, we'll leave it at that. The uh, Amagang Brew IPA is out now in a four pack. Um, it's like twelve dollars. You can. I don't know if it's really wide yet, wide release, but you can try to find it. Yeah, it should be around somewhere. I want to know who thought of like pairing the two. Like, how many joints do you have to smoke to like think of that idea? Well, of a champagne and a IPA. Yeah. I don't know. What's next? A bourbon IPA? Like a sake IPA? They're just going to like take random yeah, yeah, yeah. different like alcohols Why and not? combine them with an IPA? Yeah, what would it like a tequila IPA? Something like that. That would work, I think. Tequila lime IPA? I could see that. Yeah, I could. Yeah. Yeah. I, they, uh, a vodka IPA. It's the next one. That's the next one. Yeah. Col- there we go. The... The IPA for college kids, vodka IPA. Yeah, and if somebody <laughs> takes it, you know that's going to be our yeah trademark. That's our trademark. We need twenty five percent. I'm experimenting with sound effects here on my iPad, so we're gonna we're gonna have new, uh, new heading heading into morning show territory. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, because you know what? That's one of the funny. That is actually one of the funny like jokes from Family Guy when they like do like the radio show, like morning <laughs> yeah, jock just show, like and all, like yeah. yeah, like Stewie like sit, like hit, like every drop on the board, like yeah, no, I no. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna pepper that in now in in our shows. So, all right, let's move on to God's Gun. We'll get right into it. We'll uh, you know, we'll really go at it here. <laughs> you could stop. Yeah. Um, so God's gun um, is also known as um, a bullet from God, and also the Diamante Lobo. Yeah, the uh, which Italian. Would, name yeah, which would be better. the yeah the Italian name. You know what's really the best part about God's gun? The poster. The poster art. It's got to lure patrons in somehow. It's got that classic. Uh, Lee Van Cleef style to it that Lee, like in the poster Lee Van Cleef looks like Lee Van Cleef from the, from any 60's spaghetti western where he was really badass um, he looks like himself in the film they, they, they even in the poster it looks like they, they kind of they did give him that scruff in the no I mean like, like Asian him up a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah but in the film Lee Van Cleef does not look like Lee Van Cleef. I want to know what happened. Why? Why did they want him to go why, with this style? The, like, why did they, like, why, I mean, I know Italian directors are quirky, but why does he have to have a, a middle-aged page boy mullet? Like, the, like, the one thing that stands out is Which when, I'm, I'm convinced is fake. I think it is too because if you see so so there's um we should start from the beginning Lee Van Cleef in this film is 
a... Doing double duty. Yeah, basically. <laughs> he plays a priest... Father John Misty. Yeah. Who um, is basically the uh, the priest and parent leader of this sm- small... They call it a city, but it's Juno's, really... Of Juno City. Juno City. It's really a town. It's like like two well, that's what Well, that's what I was asking you. I'm like, man, the... Definite, you know, what made a city back in the 1870s, you know? Yeah. Got a pharmacy? Well, no, back then, got an apothecary? Yeah. Got a saloon? Yeah. Got a gambling hall? Yeah. Church? Prison? Yeah. 20 people? Yeah. You got yourself a city. You're you're the big city, yeah. But uh, he's the priest and apparently, like, almost like honorary mayor slash somewhat sheriff because he does have a say in what people do there of this city. And he's uh, been the adoptive father figure of a young boy, Leif Garrett, Johnny. And he has sort of taken him under his wing as a little page boy. Which he does have a middle, you know, nice page boy haircut. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And so Lee Van Cleef is playing this priest, which I thought was sort of the draw of God's gun is that Lee Van Cleef plays a priest. It's great. And he has a ridiculous haircut as the priest. And not only that, a ridiculous fucking goatee. Yeah. Yep. And all this, of this, as this just like, as like when we were watching, I told you, I go, like, man, how is it the, the 70s look so much shoddier, crappier? Just so like che- like cheesier and just like oh, I like everything was like very chintzy. Yeah, ex- thank you. Yeah, I was drawing a blank on in like, this. like like chin- not in this, but in general. Like compared to ten years ago, film quality, sound quality, like everything just sounds looks more dilapidated and crappier than like ten years prior. Yeah, like. And I know this is a low-budget film, but, I mean, it goes, like, for, all, like, all 70s films, like, oh, that nice period piece western from, like, 1967. Oh, that's a great film, great film. Oh, that western from 1977. Everyone has mullets and afros, and that guy's just wearing regular boots. They're not even bothering. <laughs> but, and, like, oh, you know, and they're not even having, like, mustaches that, you know, these nice, thick, unkempt mustaches. No, everyone's got Tom Selleck and... What's going on? I don't understand. The little boy's running around. How do you know it's the seventies? Well, his top, his shirt's unbuttoned at the top, so he can you know instead of being there, definitely is some modernization to this film that you wouldn't have seen in the sixties. You know, and it, for this time period, obviously, it, it doesn't it really just, match. Like, sticks out like yeah. a sore thumb. It's and I think part of that is like Lee Van Cleef, such an iconic character from Spaghetti Westerns. You know, he's been in so many. And then you have him playing this priest character with a very ridiculous haircut that is so prominent when he has his cap off because he normally wears the black cowboy hat cap. And when he has it off, he has like this very, uh, I don't know, it's such a weird like jerry curl sort it of thing. It looks like Thomas Jefferson's like <laughs> powdered, yeah, yeah, wi- yeah, like, powdered wig in his presidential portrait yeah. except instead of being it, being white it's, yeah. it's just it's it's, it's sheer black like they you know painted it tar black just like all right we know your hair color's not that black but we, we know we need to be ebony nice and you know very very strange but as we said lee van cleef is playing double duty here he and 
it's kind of uh, nerve-wracking at first because about 30 minutes into the movie, Lee Van Cleef's character, Father John, is murdered. And you're like, oh shit, is Johnny going to have to like carry, carry the weight of this film the whole time? Uh, well, no, nope, you're in luck because as in <laughs> Italian, as weird as Italians get, here we go. There's a twin. Father John has a twin. Well, we knew he had a brother. Yeah. Because he talks about him. And the but gu- and but the- guess what? They look exactly alike except different haircuts and... And, uh, Barely, it's not even, no, yeah. it's like, it's this, like the same haircut. And also, Lewis has a Mexican daughter, because they live in Mexico. And, uh, so, the whole thing with that is, now, Lee Van Cleef doesn't really have that sort of weird jerry curl, because he wears his cap, but he does sort of, as you mentioned, sometimes look like a samurai, because he has like the pulled back ponytail. He had, he, he starred the man bun. Yeah. And then, like, it's so terrible. Like, who would, like... Oh, it just looks so cheap and, like, tacky. And and the thing is that it's because they they make him look somewhat Asian in this movie. I don't know how that happens, but he looks Asian. It's like, like, what, was he, like, had, like, a rough, like, couple of months, and they found him at the local Y, and, like, all right, Lee... We're gonna give you some work. We got some work for you, finally. Actually, double the work, you know. Yeah, I don't know why they specifically chose like these, th- like this look for him, but it doesn't work in this movie. All I can tell you is the same thing I told you when we watched is like it just from in watching previous Italian films, d- the Italian directors outside of Sergio Leone are fucking baddie out of their mind and always pick these quirky, over the top juxtapositions. To uh, go with their films, yeah. maybe and I'm guessing, and I've never been to Italy, and I've you know or anything like that, and I'm not as well endowed in their culture and humor to understand. But I'm assuming somewhere in there is you know would make sense, you know. I guess, yeah. And the director of this, Gianfranco Perolini, um, I, he goes by like Jack Kramer. As the director in this, Frank Kramer in this one. But he worked with uh, Lee Van Cleef quite a bit on Spaghetti Westerns. He um, did direct one of um, the Sabata films. He also, actually he directed both Sabata films. Um, he also directed one of the Sartana films that I was mentioning mm-hmm. earlier. Um, so he did have quite a bit of, of um, work with Lee Van Cleef. Although he wasn't like a very prolific director in Italian films like some of the other Italian filmmakers were. But he also uh, looks like worked on quite a few sword and sandal flicks as well uh, in the early 60s. Ah, yes. So, um, interesting juxtaposition here that obviously I think like... What is a sword and sandal film but a western set in ancient Rome. basically that's what it is yeah it's very you know it has that same sort of style to it um but getting back to god's gun the the film is um a really generic idea for a spaghetti western like there's nothing in this movie that is really um outstandingly different from a you know a, a spaghetti western film it has the same ideas like the same beats to exactly plot. like it, just like death rides a horse it, another Lee Van Cleef film just like um 
uh, day of anger. Yeah, none of leaving. They, you know, they follow same, the same typical revenge story with a mentor and you know person trying to enact the revenge and generic bad guy. The, the difference between like like death rides a horse and day of anger and this is that. The quality of how this film is made compared to, like, those two. And even though we like both those films, they're not that, like, you know... Those are also kind of, you know... They're bottom tier. They're not bottom mi- tier, tier maybe. But, like, they're, like... Like, spaghetti westerns are already a niche genre. And westerns are a niche genre. Mm. Spaghetti westerns are even more niche. Those two movies are even more, like, niche within the niche of the niche. Yeah. So... And God's Gun is really getting down there. It's for, you know, yeah. diehards only. This is one of those films, especially coming so late in the Spaghetti Western fad, that you basically are getting a, probably like a, a very watered down version of other Spaghetti Westerns that came before it. This is literally like beat for beat. Probably Lee Van Cleef didn't even really need to rehearse or anything because he was like, yeah, I, I, he didn't need to read the script. He's like, yeah, I know how this goes. You know, they, he knew exactly why they hired him. Exactly yeah. the way that most of his other films go. There's really nothing different about this. Um, and so the, I mean, you can say you can even say it's not just like the like lowering of, I mean, like not the lowering, but you know, the waning of spaghetti. What it's the waning of westerns in general. Yeah, you know, yeah, they were. I mean, outside, you know, after like you know the early mid seventies, you know, westerns essentially died. And you have your sporadic, you know. Films throughout, like Unforgiven, and you know a couple of remakes, like Three Ten to Yuma, and you Tombstone. Two. Well, that, that's not a remake, but no, you know, no you, but you, they become a lot more sporadic. Yeah. You know, it's not nearly the popular genre that it, you know was through the forties to the sixties. Yeah. So it, it's at this point, it's really kind of getting to the end of it, and so this is one of your more generic offerings. The only thing that really stands out here is that there is this priest character. So it's not really that's generally not something that you're exploring in a spaghetti western and then you also have the twin aspect which i don't know that i've ever seen a literal twin aspect to spaghetti western you do have some of those elements where you think that the the um one of the main protagonists has died and they come back in this case it's literally not him coming back but his twin brother who is helping johnny to avenge his brother's death and then also Basically, kick out all the outlaws in in town. You know, I was really hoping that uh, with the whole priest gimmick for Lee Van Cleef, that he'd be more like uh, Wolfwood from Trigun. Mm-hmm. You know, like have have him walk around like a cross or something. You know, yeah, giant I, cross and you know murder outlaws. At no, least, no, he's just some bland motherfucker out. There. Yeah, the <laughs> the priest aspect to this film with Lee Van Cleef is sort of disappointing because it goes away so quickly. They do have an, a moment where it seems like, you know, he's a pretty cool guy where he goes and he actually, the, after w- the first part of the um, Clayton gang comes into town and they uh, kill a man in a bar, um, he goes out to get them, basically. And he goes out and gets the one guy who's responsible for the murder and brings him back. That's a pretty cool element to this film that really doesn't show up again because by that time... Lee Van Cleef's priest character is dead already. And so you really... Which you know is going to happen because they're like, yeah, sure, take him. You know? yeah. And you know they're like, we'll ride back into town and, you know... We'll... Uh, honestly, it's a really bad idea 
for Lee Van Cleef to actually do that as a as the priest character because he knows like wh- what are they gonna do just like not retaliate and like oh well you know we'll, well ride cause on ju- off well because as uh justice must be served damn it yeah even though the sheriff's a smart one like look I don't want no trouble yeah. I know these guys are like raping murdering robbing assholes I'd really just like them to you know they're they're passing through now. Let's not, you know, draw any more attention. And that guy was an asshole anyway. He's basically he was like, gonna get he was gonna kill the guy at the card table anyway. Yeah. So it was, you know, I mean, yeah, he got fucking Bob Dylan and Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, you know, yeah. knifed in the back. But yeah, and actually, you know what? Lee Van Cleef's father, Johnny, actually makes things a lot worse. Yeah, he's like the the person that instigates the Clayton gang coming back. Obviously, they would not have come back if he hadn't have taken one guy back to be arrested and then they basically end up taking over the town and becoming their own, you know, martial law there in town. So he made things incredibly worse. Um, I think he caused probably like six rapes, which (laughs) we see in pretty intricate detail for quite a bit of the, the like five minutes of a scene is just devoted to like, running down women in the the saloon and you know trying to rip their clothes off as they run around mm. in circles in the saloon and it's a pretty uh pretty lengthy scene for something of um a film that really is sort of like i would say more so lighthearted than some of the other spaghetti westerns um this one's kind of emphasizes um the goofier aspects of a spaghetti western Especially Jack Palance. Because Who's, Jack... Who's smiling and just like... Fucking like he's singing in the rain. Just like as that's... Which, you know what? That does kind of make sense. Because maybe with him like kind of like having that shit-eating, singing in the rain grin in the rape scene. They're like, oh, it's just like Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. It is a weird... Like, Jack Palance in this film, he does... I think he works in some ways... But he's also really hamming it up. And I think that's part of the direction as well. I don't think... And I think part of the problem is his dub is awful. Yeah. The way his voice is dubbed over and then how he's acting is yeah. just... Because his dub the entire time is like this fucking monotone. And then like he's just sitting like off in la-la land giving shit-eating, as you said, senile grandfather smiles. Like, oh, what's going on here? You know? We're going to the ball game? Wow, that looks like fun. Yeah. It's it's really I don't know, like the film has a weird tonality to it that I don't know that it always works. I feel like it's m- like a little bit more lighthearted than some of the other spaghetti westerns, but at the same time it does have those, you know, those themes of rape and murder and um basically this whole town has been enslaved by this posse. Um, so, you know, it does have those serious elements to it too. So it's, it's a really weird combination. Well, uh, I would say, and I was, as I was telling you, um, most spaghetti westerns kind of have like a overly serious tone to them. Yeah. But they do have their like quirky, and that's out of place moment. Like, yeah. like, you know, like humor or music or whatever the fuck wise. This one's like. Serious, but it's also it is also a little like tongue in cheek. Yeah, you know, and and you can see it throughout the film. Like it's more tongue in cheek tone, 
But I, I do think some of the places where they have that tongue in cheek, like, ah, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, yeah, like, you know, during that nice elongated five minute, you know, saloon rape fest, like, ah, yeah, and like, hey, hey, when you find out, you know, uh, Johnny's, you know, actually Jack Palin's his son, and, oh, it's, well, how, how is he my son? Oh, I remember that time you raped a girl after, in the Civil War, you know? <laughs> yeah. And they have this, you know, like, nice, like, going down memory lane, you know. Flashback uh, sequence. Flashback sequence with happy, you know, when Johnny comes to marching music and, um, you know, soft focus lens and, oh, it's just. They're real, it's a weird tone to it, I'm telling you. It's tone a, deaf. It's weird. It's very strange. I think that, like, that's probably one of the the worst aspects to the film. But probably the most egregious aspect of this film is the soundtrack. That's trying to be Ennio Morricone, but failing miserably in this regard. Well, I, I told you I compared it to, like, Bonanza's theme. Except they just went off the rails and ruined it. Because it does have, like, that same, like, guitar, like... <laughs> Again, this is another area where this film seems weirdly put together. Like, because it does have the guitar tone of, you know, Bonanza or Gunsmoke, but then it also has a really weird, strange synth element to it that sometimes crops up. And then because we have the whole religious church motif, crashing organ, and then we go into like a nice little harpsichord melodies, and then we go into, you know, back to the guitar... And then when we meet Lewis, you know, who is uh, Lee Van Cleef's brother, played by Lee Van Cleef, <laughs> every time he looks, you know, he gets a steely-eyed stare into the camera, you bang, 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 you know, like... Yeah, there is, like, th- that is, like, a woman screeching or something, and that's, like, just his, I don't know, his theme of just whenever he does something... Mm-hmm. Not even. It's just. It's just or when he's giving. When he's a, there, he's just giving a stare. Like I'm gonna do something. Bang, bang. Like he hasn't fired his gun or anything. He's just bang, bang, bang. Ah, oh. it's a. Again, like, that's a, as I told you. That's a decision only an Italian filmmaker would make. Like, okay, I see in this scene. I see in this scene. Leaving Cleef. He's looking in the camera. He's pissed. He's gonna revenge. And when he's looking in the, I want to hear bang. Oh, you want to hear a gunshot? Bang? No, I want. The, I want someone yelling bang. <laughs> yeah. I want someone screaming for some reason. Can you uh, imagine when you're playing Red Dead and you're like doing like a, you know, shootout and you're about to draw and as you before you fire the gun after you fire the gun you just hear like and then you hear bang 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 to symbolize you know Arthur won the fight. It's a it's a strange decision, but I guess you know it works in in the long run for this film. Um. The the person who composed it was Santa Maria Romatelli, who uh, did do A Hatchet for the Honeymoon, which is another Italian giallo film. Um, and it looks like a few other uh, spaghetti westerns as well. But not only that, again, as I said a billion times on this podcast, Italians love their juxtapos- juxtaposition, especially when it comes to soundtracks. Yeah. Got zombies eating people? Play the conk. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, it it, it, it definitely, like, as you said. We some, have uh, this gritty noir mystery. Have this funky disco beat, you know, for, like, Tenebrae. As, as you it's were just, saying, like, uh, that one scene, the, the lengthy rape scene, is sort of 
accompanied by just like regular like whimsical whimsical music that's playing because it's almost like a Benny Hill like chasing women around you know trying to (laughs) whip their clothes off it's it's sort of played up for for a weird laughs rather than her name that one girl's name was Chesty I know she had it coming I guess so Yeah. yeah um I'm trying to think of uh, what else you got. Let's talk about how. I mean, this is low budget, but this is like straight from like the 1970s, like public access. That opening credit, like pre credit sequence and credits, terrible. It does. When, like, <laughs> it does have that bonanza opening of just like you get a character's face and, and then it freezes for a second and who, you get their credits. Who does that in a movie? I mean, I've seen I, it a few times. It happened. I mean, it does I, tend to happen in Italian movies. I mean, it's, I love it. I love it. Like when you're watching like, an old show and you get to see like, oh, starring Michael Land. Yeah. And you get to see him standing there like awkwardly looking into the camera. <laughs> I mean, but that's this opening credit sequence is like, you know, Jack Bailey. And then he's just kind of looking at the camera like, oh. And then it goes like, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, too, the whole like horseshoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole scene where uh Johnny runs up to some kids playing horseshoes to show him who's who's the best. And Johnny throws it and he misses completely. A just terrible throw. And so then Well he didn't miss completely when he's like two. It feet. was awful. It's an awful throw. I mean it didn't even hit it's like this it didn't even hit the, the poles at all. Like not even close. Well it doesn't help too that the posts are two feet apart from each other, so you can't really but no, even then he's like, "I'm gonna be sly. I'm gonna kick it near the post, and everyone's sitting there watching it, you know." <laughs> yeah. But Sly and I leave Van Cleef from twenty feet away. He's like, "You don't want to cheat to win, Johnny." He's like, "Yeah, that's not that's not how you win, Johnny." And then, which that's a great that's a I love that because that's like that's how you'd expect Lee Van Cleef to be like introduced in one of these. Exactly. Films. That's like, how you know you're like. He's the mentor. He's gonna he's gonna teach. He's like, watch this, and then he throws a horseshoe and shows him how to get a ringer. Yeah, even though you said it's clear that he's way too far over the line. He's cheating like he cheated too. But I mean, he's not stepping over, but he's like leaning so far. And again, the lean, and and because it's like two feet apart, he can just reach his hand right over and just drop it. Yeah. Yeah, but those scenes that, like, that thing where, uh, you know, he has, like, the really goofy one-liner, they crop up here and there throughout the film. Like, there's a a, a weird scenario where Johnny's heading to Mexico and he just meets this guy in the desert <laughs> that doesn't even look Mexican. And he's <laughs> just offers advice and then slaps him in the face. There's all these moments of just... Weirdness. Uh, yeah, no, occurred. but like, I was gonna say, like, what what did he say to him? Yeah, I have no yeah, idea. Like, yeah, he's just like the lady, like, starts freaking out, like, don't say that to him. He thinks you're an ass, you know, making jokes like that, you know. Which again, it's like another Italian thing. Like when somebody says something that's like a question, it's like, how dare you make a joke like that? Yeah, you know, you joke, you keyed, you should not keyed. I love it. It's great. I so love- how did he become mute? Yeah, I, I have no idea. Maybe when he got punched in the face and he became mute. I have no idea. From walking in the desert? I guess. Maybe without water and he became mute. Did you see? Oh, my. He pounded that water jug like a champ. Like, you know. Yeah. Champ. And you know, it's funny. That girl, that chick that was bitching him out and then giving him advice on where to go to that town. She's like, yeah, oh, yeah. Drink all my water. And yeah. that, you know. <laughs> you know what I love is when he does 
uh, finally end up with Lewis and uh, he's trying to explain what happened. And they ask him, what, what did you do? And he's got pen and paper. And he doesn't write it down. He draws a very generic picture of his brother getting shot by four people. It's great. It's like he and doesn't. Then, just... and, then, and then Lee Van Cleef has to wear it all day. Four shots or four people. Yeah, I know. Like... <laughs> it's great. It's great. <laughs> which, which, would that even matter? You I just... guess he's trying to figure out how many people are, you know, <clears throat> how many people are. Are gonna be his enemies. Yeah, but, but Johnny wouldn't know that he was ringing the goddamn bell in the church when he got <laughs> shot. So he didn't know. He just heard the gunfire. Oh uh, yes, the a lot of the film doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Like it doesn't. It, it none of the plot really comes together very well. Is what I'll say. Like why is Lewis's daughter Cher? <laughs> yeah. Like. So how old is like Levi and Cleef like seventy in this, and then like his daughter's like fifty? Yeah. <laughs> it's I don't know. I don't know. None of the plot really comes together all that well. A lot of it is forced on the viewer by flashback sequences. There are two flashback sequences in here. One where they show Lewis in town. And he's a gunslinger. Yeah, he's a gunslinger. And his his brother is also in town and the sheriff's coming, like, to arrest him. Like, oh, you just killed five people in my town. And Father John's like, no, no, no. I'll vouch for him. And the sheriff's like, okay. Yeah. Father John says it's cool. It's cool. White privilege. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, the flashback sequences are really kind of like forced in here. And it's just like, you're wondering what happens right now. <laughs> like, why is there another Lee Van Cleef character? Well, here you go. What, what I don't get is the fact that after like, because he's playing the poker game and he shoots the guy because he cheated at poker. Yeah. And then he shoots the other guys because they were trying to kill him because they said, "Hey, there's a bet going on in town that whoever can kill you is gonna get all this money." And so they're trying to kill him and he kills them. And then Father John's like, "No, you can't be doing that. That's wrong." And he's like, "All I know is the way of the gun." What did he do that would make me, you know, makes you think it's the way of the gun? He's just he's gambled, and then people, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, you know, what what did he do before that made him like, oh, he's a, you know, he's a enforcer. I don't know. He's a quick draw artist. I didn't really think about he's it just that the, much. He, to be honest with he's you, he's just defending himself. Yeah. I didn't really think about it that much because there's not a lot of like themes going on in this film there's not much theme there's, there's nothing really about morality here it's literally painted for you i mean they this did, is a good person they did this is a bad well person. no they did sprinkle in like why is this going on in our town our good christian town that we set you know our that we set it up well the one thing that is weird is the end where there's the you know the iconic spaghetti western face-off between two people with the most god-awful camera crashes. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> flipped upside down camera. <laughs> but, the good uh, and the bad and the ugly and once upon a time in the West. And this is not. With yeah. That's. Just... But the the end of it after um, Lewis has blown away Jack Palance's character, the film almost is trying to get some sympathy out of you. It's like played with like a very like, like orchestral. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that he's dead. Yeah, it was like, like the, no, that dude's an asshole. Because because he was like throwing money, like the fifty thousand dollars that we robbed. It's yours. It's all yours. And then he went to like grab some more cash and he shoots him. And then it's like slowly you see the money fades away and you're expecting to see a gun there. Like oh he's gonna he's gonna shoot him. And they're like 
was no gun. There's no gun. So he's being honest. No, I don't like, care. That no. dude raped a woman and impregnated her. Didn't even realize that he's Did raped it? so many people. No. He's like, I could have kids all over the place. And he's like, I, I don't know. want a son. Then he finds out. He's like, no, it's your son. He's like, I remember. I have a son. Yeah, you go he, fucking nuts. We're going to go raping and pillaging together. This is... Woohoo! He's already a smart boy. You know, he's Stuck gonna, around behind my back. You know, he's already going down to the Mexican border singing, like, James Taylor's Mexico. Like, oh, oh no, I, Mexico. I, I don't know why. That's, like, another weird moment where you're supposed to have sympathy for the villain, but there's really... None to be had there. And like I said, God's gun. There's no real, you know, as you, there is, a, I guess, a little bit of that Christian element to it. But other than that, there's really no themes at all here. It's like, this guy's a good guy. This guy's a bad guy. The good guy's going to kill the bad guy. And that's it. It follows those beats, like, for, to a T. There's the whole vengeance yeah. motive. And that's like... Spaghetti Western 101. And not only that, the whole, like, mentor and mentee relationship is very poor. Yeah. Like, how, like, how is Father John really a mentor to Johnny? He's just like, ring the bell. Yeah. He didn't put the candle out. Yeah, the thing with the... Don't use the guns. The thing... And then he dies, and then when he meets up with Lewis, like, Lewis is basically like, I'll deal with it. (laughs) You know? The thing with the, the mentor aspect is that i don't love the mentor aspect in a lot of um spaghetti westerns a lot of times it does not work well because usually it's, it's like just, a like this guy that's supposed to be played as like a 16 year old yeah. he's like 35 yeah. like you know i like, mean a lot of times the mentor element is like way overplayed and so i do like it when a spaghetti western doesn't go that route um here like you said it's not a, a big element to it i mean it's the mentor it's supposed to it's be, a, yeah. No, my point is, it's supposed to be, but it's a very lacking and yeah. not fleshed out to where it's like, well, why is that even a thing? It honest- Hell, why even have the little boy here? Yeah. Just have it be his brother, and then, like, word gets sent over, like, to, like, you know, Lee Van Cleef playing his brother, <laughs> and then, like, like, someone tells him, like, I have news from Juno City. Your brother is dead. Yeah, honestly, the, the, it seems like they almost forgot about the boy once, it gets to that point because he go first of all he's mute so like you really like there's no character progression from there it's just like he's he happens to be there he comes back with Lee Van Cleef but that's we it. gotta go back to get Johnny yeah there's really no character progression for for Johnny after that he's he's our Barbara yeah just we gotta go back for Johnny <laughs> I don't have much else to add about God's Gun do you I I'm think i covered everything that i wanted to you know it's um surprisingly violent yeah it is yeah but they cheaped and chinsed out like, i thought like one of the th- things was cool when chesty shot the guy in the back of the head with a shotgun you got to see the squibs in the front of the guy's face but yeah. it's like i mean it really looked chintzy and shit yeah not like, really realistic you know yeah yeah, that's the thing. Like a lot of spaghetti westerns are like that. It's not really a realistic portrayal of violence. No, I know, but, but I, I no, I know. But like the fact that they had the balls to just shoot a guy in the back of the head, and you get to see it with a shotgun, and they actually, you know, try doing the facial squibs. It's like I give them props for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. instead of just generic shoot off screen and see the guy like clutch. No, that this film didn't have a lot of that shoot off screen guy like clutching himself. Like, Ugh, you know, <laughs> yeah, especially in the beginning. That whole first shootout is a lot of and, people and the, clutching that, themselves. And that first in Carson City or whatever the hell, yeah. where they break up the puppeteer show. 
to rob that bank. Oh, that's what we didn't talk about. The framing at the end of the film when <laughs> Lee Van Cleef rides off into the sunset. And it's framed by that puppeteer. Um, there's like a little box. stage yeah. box that the puppeteer has. And, it's, and for whatever reason, his puppeteer has been following people around all over the place. He's, he's in fucking Carson City. Then he goes to Juno City. He's already there before the gang gets there. He's heading to Mexico now. Yeah, apparently yeah. he's everywhere. But um, there's that framing sequence, and it's yeah, it's very, very reminiscent of better directors <laughs> from spaghetti westerns. But uh, certainly, I guess it works here as well. I, I don't know what we're really supposed to get from that, though. It seems like the puppeteer, you know, is supposed to be, you know, that's supposed to be a theme, you know, because it's a of, story. He was telling a story. I, I got and, it. I and guess. Then, but and it's, then it's like, oh, here's now this story's about to unfold and. I guess. It yeah. doesn't... I don't know that it really works that well. well Especially because, you know, if you weren't paying attention, you might have forgotten about the puppeteer. He's really literally only on camera for two times in the entire movie. You would forget about him otherwise. So, you know, I don't know that it works that well. I don't know why, but the way he sounded and kind of looked made me think of, like, Pappy from... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. From, from Bubble Boy. Yeah. Poonati! No! <laughs> yeah. All right. So... On a, I gotta think of a scale here. Um, Out of ten, yeah. Huh. There's not. See, the thing about God's Gun is there's not really that much stuff that stands out about it. So you can't like. We had a hard time picking out an intro. We had a hard. We we're having a hard time picking out a scale from the film. There's just not that much that stands out about it. I guess out of out of ten. Bushy mullets. Bushy Lee Van Cleef mullets. Out of place, Bushy yeah. Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> what, would you, what would you give God's Gun? I'll give it a four. This is a bad movie. This is a really bad movie. And it's not entertaining in the least. Lee Van Cleef looks like Pat Morita and Charles Bronson were fused into one spaghetti western outlaw. I don't know what the hell happened to his face and hair in this movie, but he, that's what he looks like. Um, he gives probably the most uninspired performance I've ever seen. Granted, Lee Van Cleef, as much as I love and like him, he is a very stoic actor, which depending on how you like your actors, he can come off as wooden. I get that, but it's it's the same thing with like Bronson. And, but I like that because it fits what they, the roles that they play here though. He's just totally uninspired. Um, Jack Palance is great at being hammy and goofy, but it doesn't fit the tone. I don't think it really fits his character, and it's just really weird. Uh, the score is atrocious. All I have now stuck in my head is the Bonanza theme, which is miles and miles better. But it's like the, they, the Italians just took the Bonanza theme and ran wild with it. The soundtrack sound like the, uh, their sound editors. Like, we had 30 minutes to have this orchestra lay down 10 tracks that we're going to loop incessantly and that's something we didn't point out either this film is not mute at all there's music in every goddamn scene for every little beat in this film they they feel the need to fill any silence with this god-awful out-of-place soundtrack it's just atrocious outside of the lee van cleef and jack palance who both give very uninspired performances the rest of the cast is just fucking dreadful the story is Beat by beat for every spaghetti western revenge story that you've ever seen before. It's low budget. It's got the worst 
aspects of the 70s sticking around in it with its how people look and dress and if this is not if if this was like a film that's near the end of Spaghetti Western's heyday I can see why that sunsetting on the genre because you're miles and miles away from like Once Upon a Time in the West yeah I, I guess I'd probably give it like a four and a half it's um probably one of the lowest tier spaghetti westerns obviously we're getting out of the era and in 1976 when this film released uh but lee van cleef here really looks like he's so bored of what he's doing that well wouldn't you though too by that point like if you were being typecasted like all the time i mean i imagine at first like fun and cool like you know yeah this seems like he's just absolutely bored with it he just is doing it for the paycheck and in this case probably two paychecks you know, because he does have a couple screen moments where he's on screen twice. So, he's, you know, he's sharing uh, sharing duties with himself. That's why Clint was smart to get out when he did, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. You know, and make I, it... I just think that here, like, it just shows that Leaving Cleave is bored with what he's doing at this point, And he's really just in it as a job. And that, in itself... You know, Lee, like you said, Lee Van Cleef, he can occasionally come off as very dry, but it's sort of an intentional dry. In this film, he's just just dry. There's no, you know, nothing else going on here. Uh, it is what it is, and whatever. he didn't really put in a lot of effort in this one. Just and like that brewed IPA, dry. And- yeah. <laughs> Whereas I would say that Jack Palance actually did put in some effort here. He is giving, like, especially his facial expressions. Those are, like, the most effort, although it's probably better represented in a different film because this is not really that type of film and it's it often comes across as very tone deaf and there's a lot of elements to it that's you know i don't know if we're supposed to be laughing at it but they don't really work in the scheme of the storyline and as i said before too i don't think the dubbing helps no because i I think i think because for all we know his vocal take during those could have been a lot more you know charismatic and enthusiastic Compared yeah. to what we get in the dub, which is just like you can, I can just imagine him sitting in front of like a little, you know, prompt holding the lines and him just reading them, you know, verbatim. Like, yeah. all right, let's get this over with. Yeah, I just uh, most of it just doesn't work that well. It's a very cut and dry revenge story. Um, very, you know, very generic spaghetti western. Soundtrack's not good. Uh, it's no Ennio Morricone for sure. Um, and. Ultimately, it's just this. There's a reason why this wasn't hasn't been released. There's not really anybody craving for God's Gun. I don't think there's anybody. There's only like the hardcore fans of spaghetti westerns. There may be somebody who saw it one time and was like, "I think I love God's Gun," and then they like revisit it and they probably don't because they've seen a lot better spaghetti westerns since then. Um, so. You know, Editing is terrible too. You, yeah, you you can't tell if it's supposed to be night or day, because you know, like how like back then, like no one shot during the night. Yeah. It was impossibly hard to light and get it to look good. So they just kind of darkened the screen a little bit, and it lo- it looks bad. But you know what they're trying to go for. Yeah. Well, doesn't help in this too that they also add the terrible editing of like crickets in the background or like a howling wind on a plane. Yeah, where there's no wind blowing because you can see the characters, and there's no wind blowing through their hair or anything. But yeah, you just get the, to hear the constant like. The editing is is difficult because this is supposed to take place in the span of a few days, and you can't really tell how long it's taken. <laughs> 
for it to because you don't know what's night and what's day and sometimes like it was just day and now it's night could it be years yeah it, it doesn't really <laughs> make much sense so um but yeah the this is uh not the greatest spaghetti western it's 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 an okay one um but certainly nothing outstanding and there's a reason why it's fairly uh you know obscure so all right, so uh, we are back in two weeks, and we will be covering, I think, Suspiria, right? The new one. Finally. The Suspiria remake, which is out on Blu-ray. Uh, we'll be covering that because we've uh, wanted to do it for quite a while, and we'll now just be getting to it since we weren't able to see it in theaters. Uh, so thank you for listening. We will see you next time. We are on Facebook, facebook.com, Podcast. We're on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcasts, any other podcasting app that you can think of. Uh, download us, subscribe, and leave us a nice review. Uh, we have a Twitter at Blood and Black Rum. We have an email address, Blood and Black Rum Podcast at gmail.com. And as always, you can donate to us on our Patreon page uh, at our Podbean accounts, Blood and Black Rum Podcast.podbean.com. Become a patron on there and donate at least $1 a month, and you do get episodes early. So uh, think about all that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time for Suspiria. Take care.